You have one new voicemail message. Message received nineteenth of July at eleven ten a.m. Ahoy, unpack. Looking forward to the new season. And you have been missing my calls, Tabby. So not sure what that's about. But I was just ringing to say that I think New Zealanders can both be ashamed and proud of the actions of different groups、um, within the tour. Obviously, there were groups that stood up for the rights of others, and particularly、um, against those that were oppressed in the apartheid in Africa. And then there was the government and other groups of people that chose to ignore what was going on.、Um, I remember in high school chatting to my mum and asking her what she thought about、um, well, what her biggest regret in life was. And she actually brought up the Springbok tour, which I was really surprised about.、Um, and she said her biggest regret was not understanding why the protesters were protesting and the reason behind it. And like in a way, because she went to the game, she was ignorant to the fact, or almost supported it through going to the games. Anyway,、um, looking forward to seeing you both on the fourth backfield. Catch you soon. Fucking floored me, somebody. First article comes from the BBC from June 2016. Tagline states: Sports people in South Africa are still facing challenges. 22 years after the end of apartheid, the video depicts two young black cricketers. They have a lot of potential to be great international players for South Africa, but unless they head to a school that has produced the majority of South African international cricketers, they won't have a chance. And unfortunately, you need to get a scholarship to the school, and that hasn't happened for a lot of black cricketers. I mean, just from watching this video, you can tell that the social media manager just clocked off as soon as it was posted. My lord! It's got every point that like an online racist would just like eat up. Yeah. And it's not long enough to really explain privilege, affirmative action, or even current race relations in South Africa. So the comments try to fill in the gaps of the knowledge. First comment comes from Karine. Oh dear, I only see whites on the Oxford rowing team. What does that mean? Is rowing an elite sport, or is this plain racism? BBC, stick to commenting on what you know about. I wonder how Kareen feels about rugby too. Like this video doesn't exactly say that only whites are on the South African team due to elitism, but instead saying that students from impoverished areas,、mm-hmm. which are highly populated by Black Africans, can't afford to go to the only school that creates South African cricketers. Like you have a small chance of making it unless you go to this school. And it's interesting how it relates to New Zealand, right? Because we have. A handful of high schools that produce our top athletes.、Mm. If you went to Bay of Islands College, shout out to anybody from those listening to the podcast.、Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily going to be near great resources or perhaps coaches that would help you become the athlete you truly could become.、Mm. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're missing out on potential due to things that you have no control over. Next comment comes from Stefan. This seems more of a classist issue, which doesn't necessarily mean classism isn't tied with racism. Ding ding, Stefan. Wow, look, you're correct here. Look, classism is prejudice against people belonging to a particular social class. Now,、yep. racism is prejudice against people belonging to a particular race, typically one that is a minority 
or marginalized. Absolutely. And classism and racism are linked. Mm. Like, there are two systems of oppression that are inherently linked in which it's impossible to separate one from the other. Like, they're designed to force certain power to maintain power. In this case, young white cricketers. Yeah. Now, you can be the richest black man in the world and surpass your class. Like, but racism will still be prison. 100%. Regardless of wealth. Like, if LeBron James is going to have the N-word spray painted outside his house, how could anyone think otherwise? Absolutely. Next comment comes from Ben. How many white farmers have been raped and murdered since apartheid? Piss off BBC with your anti-white left-leaning narratives. I mean, what does what does that have to do with anything? Look, what? we're, we're sitting there talking about inclusion and accessibility to the, the upper echelon of professional sports. The only reason Ben would bring this up would be to try and justify it or balance it out. Either way... It's uncalled for. It's uncalled for. If these are the kind of comments that the BBC is on, I'm scared of the BBC. Absolutely. This is the international door we've opened up. I'm concerned. I'm so scared. But also, the anti-white left-wing narratives that Ben is talking about is assuming that white people aren't the majority in the left and right-wing yeah, narratives. I'd, yeah, I don't know about that Get one. with the times, Ben. Next comment comes from Amanda. How about race car driving in America? No Asian drivers must be a racist sport. And no college education is necessary to drive a race car. So no worries about grades. All right. You know what? Yeah. Let's take Amanda's comment seriously. I think it's time. 100%. I mean, the last three have been weird. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's look at this. Race car driving in America, question mark, Amanda says. All right, let's, let's, let's go. So to be a NASCAR driver in America... You got to visit your local racetrack. Yeah. But you got to buy a pit pass to visit your local racetrack. You know, like, networking's essential, right? You got to be there. I guess that makes sense. The cost isn't even listed. And you know it's a little elite when the price ain't listed. Wait, it's not there? It's not there. There's, oh, nope. so I got to talk to some, oh, I'm, no. I'm like that. So you know what, Tabby? We just had a child and, you know, the, the child is going to uh, try to be a NASCAR driver. Now our child is black. Not Asian, like Amanda said, but the child is black. So we have raised them in Florida because it's the cheapest racetrack we could find. Um, and we found a $55 pit pass. All right. That's, that's all right. That's, that's, that's not too right? crazy. All right. We're good cool. with that. So our kid is then going to apply for a racing license. It's $4,000 uh, for a two-day racing school course. Ooh. 4K for two days? 4K for two days. All right. We, could, we got it, though, right? Yeah, uh, we are. We we gonna need to yeah, stretch some yeah. things. You the, the account in this relationship. You better say we got yeah, it. You're right. I need to contribute. The next thing we gotta do is we gotta start racing carts. It's the easiest way to get into racing. Cool. Two thousand five hundred dollars. Oh, I don't think you have the facilities for that, big man. We we got we got it. We in trouble. Okay. All right. We'll contact the bank. Um. The next thing we gotta do is we gotta race cars, right? So we gotta get for a whole season. Absolutely. On yeah. the way up. Fifty three thousand dollars for a whole season. Yeah, we can pay. Ugh. We can we can save six thousand dollars if we pay up front though. Up yeah, we get. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we we save six k. My bad. Sorry, my bad. Cool, cool. So after that season, we then need to go to like an elite racing school so yep. that we can actually like you know get to that professional level that we're Makes talking sense. about. Our kid, by the way, is still interested in the sport. Oh, they're cool. absolutely interested. All right, cool. Yeah, we've tried to get them into golf. It's not working. It's not. Yeah. So we're gonna attend a racing school. Each school costs. About six thousand dollars. Hey, don't worry though, because we saved six k from ooh. paying up front. Networking exactly. and financial geniuses. Exactly. Look at us. After that, we got to apply for a NASCAR license. Now, not only can that take a long time to actually apply for the license, like a few years. Yeah. 
uh, but also a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, you know when you go to a restaurant and like the steak's there, but the price ain't next to it because you got to ask? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like that. I feel like if you got to ask, you can't afford it. So we don't have the capacity. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of tough. So just to do some quick maths. So if we save the 6K up front, at this point, it's about 58K. Oh boy. That's before the few years of having the NASCAR license and before making any bread. $58,000. So, so our point is that for so many families, the average income can't actually afford this. You've got outliers in every sport, but the entry fee to this isn't a pair of boots and socks. Exactly. And so for Amanda, there are a lot of people who can afford that, but they are of generally one race. Next article comes from News Hub. Headline reads, Rugby World Cup 2019. Media reacts to the Springboks' triumph over England in the final. Tagline states, How the world reacted to the Springboks' thumping of England in last night's World Cup final. First comment comes from Skimmer. They must have learned a thing or two since they played us and lost. Can't wait to see the ABs and Springboks play each other next. I love how even when we're congratulating somebody else, it's a backhanded compliment. Like, shout out to you for winning. It must be because you learned from us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're still the best. Don't worry about us. But, like, it must have been because you learned from us. It's so pity. <laughs> Skimmer is also, like, looking forward to the All Blacks in South Africa playing again. Yeah. Because of the fierce rivalry we yeah. got, right? Like, the rivalry dates back to the 1920s, and it's filled with controversy, crazy endings, large personalities. I mean, some of rugby's biggest names have played for either team. Yeah. So you gotta, you can understand why Skimmer's like, yo, I can't wait to play again. It's gonna be, it's gonna be lit. Next comment comes from Heather. First time ever to support the Springboks. I'm so pleased I was. Such a humble captain and such a well-deserved win. Some of the English team have done themselves no favours. People remember actions. So captain of the Springboks is uh, Sia Colisi. Uh, and a he's a black man, a black South African man from Zuide. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, humble versus arrogant is always how these like sports rivalries are split up, right? And Heather's making reference to the England captain, Owen Farrell, who was smirking during the haka. That... Now, is there, like, is there anything wrong with that? Look, I, I don't know, but there are many ways in which you can interpret what happened. Look. The haka is done as a challenge to their opponents of war. And the smirk could have gone two ways. Some right. people interpreted it as him being keen for the game and accepting the challenge. Other people took it as an arrogant smirk. And look, when I say New Zealand turned that smirk into Michael Jordan saying, and I took that personally, that's what we mean. I remember when that occurred, everyone was like, oh, we got to end him. we got to torch him. Like, we got to. It's our only option. You know the wild thing is that I think at the, yeah, the start of the season we did the All Blacks and we were like, yo, like, by any means necessary, we will 100%. win. Yeah, y'all are also real petty. <laughs> <laughs> this is real petty. The man smiled once and y'all like, it's game over for you. Absolutely. Next comment comes from Doris. Yes, well done, Box. I, a true blue AB supporter, but this week, Springbok. Eddie concentrated too much on beating the ABs and forgot about the other team. Awesome for wiping the smile off their faces. <laughs> you know how you're just talking about petty? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Can we just let go of it? 
one smile. Can we literally let go? Like the bro smiled once, and everybody in New Zealand was like, "Yeah, well, he, you know, he was concentrated on the wrong thing." You know, like we know what the bro was up to. I mean, look, do you know how much it would also take for Doris, an All Black supporter, to support a South African team? Clearly, only when they're playing England. But like, fair enough. The rivalry between New Zealand and England is one of colonialism, so I get that. But do we hate England as much in any other areas, any other arenas, in any other ways? Next comment comes from Glenn. Great game. NZ would never have beat either of these teams on the night. It was hard. Brutal, entertaining rugby. Pleased for South Africa. Wait, did Glenn just commit treason? Did Glenn Is just announce that New Zealand isn't the greatest team of all time? This never happens. Look, what a moment. Glenn coming out with the nah. Both these teams are tough. Shout out to Glenn. We're going to... Some applause for Glenn. Yeah, you know what? Some applause is there needed. Because usually in the comments when the All Blacks lose... Along with like, you know, the other comments in this post, you know, we blame the, the crucial moment of the game on, on the referee or, you know, something that happened that the referee didn't see or whatever. But Glenn right here is, you know what? We're not the greatest team of all time and it's uh, pleased for South Africa. And look, either way, this comment is a diamond in the rough. We'll continue after a quick ad break. Hey, uh, it's Sharitha from Manchester and I'm here to tell you guys why I became a Patreon. Uh, I became Patreon about two years ago um, because I wanted to support a up-and-coming homegrown podcast, you know, that was tackling such important issues in New Zealand and New Zealand media. You know, these guys are so consistent with their content and um, their episodes. They, you know, they're always looking to improve with their content and with their research and I just love that I'm always learning something new every time I listen to these guys um, you know I find them quite an important part of my morning routine now whether I'm going to the gym in the morning or commuting to work I always find myself listening to them um, and you know if anyone's looking to support Unpack you know I highly recommend you yeah becoming a Patreon and supporting Unpack and on that note I hope you enjoy this episode. Next article comes from the New Zealand Herald. Headline states, Springbok Terror, anti-tour plot to shoot nails into Eden Park. Tagline states, Violence flared throughout a divided New Zealand during the 1981 Springbok tour. 40 years on, Neil Reed reveals more bloodshed would have occurred if a plan to fire nails during the final test into Eden Park had gone ahead. Hashtag, Herald Premium. First comment comes from Russell. Fun fact. South Africa still has a racially picked rugby side, but reverse apartheid seems to be internationally accepted. Look, we're going to get to it, but it's not right of us to answer Russell's point without giving the historical context. And as you know, that's not on me. Oh, yeah. Get loose, get ready. But I'll just start us off. Look, in the 1950s, the Group Areas Act required segregation in any place of public entertainment. That meant that black spectators could not attend sport events in white areas without government permission. 
All right, I've been doing cartwheels in the back of the studio. I'm ready. Yeah, I know. That's your time. Hey, I'm ready. Off. All right, headband on. So first of all, as you say that as well, if black spectators cannot attend sports events in white areas where the majority of professional sports are being played, yeah. that also you know decreases the inspiration for black people to get into sports, right? 100%. So back in the history way, in the same year, South Africa said the only teams that tour South Africa must have only white players. Ugh. A little bit of a weird rule, huh? Keith Holyoke, the prime minister at the time, said, no. Nah. And he went on to quote, a racially segregated team cannot properly represent New Zealand. Now, hold on. Applause for Keith Holyoke right there. Look Absolutely. at that. 100%. A bicultural nation. And he just leading it like, yeah, no, nah, we ain't doing that. But in 1976, Muldoon in power and New Zealand tours South Africa with naming all of their non-white players as honorary white. We tour South Africa. The whole world is like, yo, yo, what? Yo, we what had a, you? yo, we was. We, you, the motherfucking, uh, uh, down. And in the same year, we were supposed to boycott the Olympics with all the African countries to protest apartheid. And we went. Oh, my. And the God. whole world was like, yo. What are you doing? My brother. Yeah, no. You did not get the email. <laughs> the next year, they made an agreement called the Glen Eagles Agreement. That was a document to say, New Zealand, we're all on the same page here. Remember, we, look. We're going to forget what happened before then. It's all right. We won't talk about that. We are not playing with South Africa, all right? New Zealand was like, yeah, but a bit. A bit. We got you. 1981. Ooh. The Springbok Tour happens. Oh, my God. Through this whole time, only whites were allowed to play professional sports in South Africa. The entire time that we've yeah. just been talking about. Russell giving us a, the old reverse apartheid because between 1950s and 1991, there were 40 years of black South Africans that couldn't play for their national team. No matter how good they were. Yeah. The new laws look to give a general payback for that. General yeah. reparations. Today, the South African Rugby Union has targeted a 45% quota of black players in the Springboks by 2019. I don't know where they got 45%. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Look, and that's that's on them. That's on them. Who knows? But that's just a little bit of uh, history for everybody. Mm. Get you up to speed. Next comment comes from Caroline. I didn't go to a single game, and I did not watch on TV. My silent protest. So people picketed the whole thing, trying to disrupt the game. I mm -hmm. mean, this article even speaks to threats to fly a plane into the stadium. Yeah. Which isn't funny at all, but just shows the severity of the protest anger and the lengths people were going to show that they were not happy with this game taking place. All right, but looking at Caroline's comment, what does that actually prove, though? Because, like, their plot is for protesting, and, and we don't know Caroline enough to say, you know, they could have done more, you know, but they've done something. Like, Absolutely. how good is a silent protest? Mm. Who knows? Next comment comes from Dalton. I'm guessing they'll allow the upcoming games, despite South Africa being in a worse era right now, with current looting and violence. Look, to Dalton's point, South Africa still hasn't grappled well with racial issues at all. Mm-hmm. That's no joke, and there's no running away from that fact. Xenophobia is called murders and assaults of foreigners as well as South African citizens. Absolutely. And can we just say that you don't have to be a, a victim of something to retaliate? Yeah. There are some people in this world that feel personally attacked for something that has happened to another person that shares a characteristic to them, whether that be race, whether that be gender, whether that be sexual orientation. That's common. 100%. And I mean, some people use that as fuel to then retaliate on behalf as if they were that person. That's also very common. Look, either way, mm -hmm. it's an unnecessary comment from Dalton to bring up looting and the violence. Sometimes 
you've got to step in and fight for people who aren't necessarily able to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. That happens. Next comment comes from Lynn. Well said, Pam. Yes, I do remember those times. Worked at Hughes and Costler at that time, who were targeted as we sold South African wines. Yep. They used to protest outside the shop in Kyber Pass Road in Auckland. Now, in times of protest, we often see boycotts occur of like you know goods and services that represent the protest target, right? Mm-hmm. In this case, Lynn says she used to work at Hughes and Cosser, yeah, which sold South African wines, and people protesting the tour would also protest outside the shop. Yeah. Now, that right there is a level of anger or protesting <sighs> that so many of us are not akin to today. 100%. Because as a nation, as a world, we're so interconnected that this could be a South African mic I'm talking into. I have no idea. Yeah. But in the 80s, a South African wine, you they can pick and choose. Easy, targeted. Now, for the fourth article, we're introducing a new segment called In the Thick of Ink. From the archives and newspapers of old, we dive back into the words of what your parents and your grandparents thought about the Springbok Tour when it was actually happening. The comments we see today on social media can be inflammatory and be published in a second. Letters to the editor had to be posted to the newspaper headquarters, written in black or blue ink, and wouldn't be accepted if the penmanship was bad. Here are the letters to the editor from July 1981 across the Herald, Otago Daily Times, and the press. Sir, this morning I awoke to the sound of the Forex Zone news bulletin informing me, among other things, that four blacks in a South African prison who had resisted guards' attempt to take them to their execution had been administered tear gas and then taken away and executed. Perhaps the fact that followed, that Iran and South Africa are the only two countries in the world where the death penalty is carried out regularly, says enough about the monstrosity of a system. But that was not all. About two news items and an equal number of minutes later came the information that the Springboks had left Cape Town on their 48-hour globetrotting flight to New Zealand via the Northern Hemisphere the only route they could take to avoid the worldwide anger and bitterness over the tour. That New Zealanders should be hosts to represent this inhumane system of life makes me very sad and almost ashamed to be a Kiwi. I was quite nauseated by that news bulletin. DJ McCormack, Otago, July 1981. This is a harrowing introduction to the segment. Yeah. This is, this is wild. To also say that you had to write a letter mm. and it wouldn't be accepted if the penmanship was bad, but also this is one of the most articulate things that we've ever seen. The writing was beautiful. This is like, that is, it was beautiful. I'm also like slightly saddened by it. Mm. It's so articulate. We can confirm that, yeah, tear gas tactics were used against those people in you know peaceful situations or situations where no threat was posed to police. But as DJ McCormick just said, before an execution. Yeah. That's just inhumane. DJ also finishes off their comment with the reality that New Zealanders are about to host a Springboks in their own country, and it makes them nauseated. They literally have to take the long way to New Zealand because they can't fly through other countries. You can understand why DJ would be saddened by this. And it's wild to just think that they had to write this down and just sit and just wait for it to be published. It might not make it. It might not get there. And just speaks to the focus and intent of writing letters to the editor. Absolutely. And you know the the wild thing as well is DJ would have sent this in 
and just not knowing what was to come. Exactly. We're sitting here reading this knowing what happened in the Springbok tour yeah. about 40 years later. DJ's living through this right now. All of the comments that we've read previously on here don't even match up. Next comment. Sir, the Springbok tour controversy and violence in the name of freedom and human rights wounds me. Long after the Springboks have gone, New Zealand will be divided. How will that help the black majority in South Africa? While the Springboks are here enjoying our hospitality, can those who do not support the tour send a team to South Africa? New Zealanders can help South Africans to improve their lives by building windmills, digging wells, encouraging cottage industries to enable the breadwinner to stay with the family, teaching sewing. New Zealanders can also provide gardening tools, seeds, trees, cuttings and semen to improve local stock, build ovens and kilns from local resources, improve the quality of education by providing the means to produce their own materials, offer the hand of friendship by working alongside, by encouraging individuals to improve their immediate surroundings. Of course, none of those ideas will transform South Africa into a model of freedom and human rights, but neither will our tour matches, boycotts or the spilling of blood. J. Hanna, Fakatane, July 1981. 40 years before starting this podcast, we can see the same rhetoric coming up in Letters to the Editor that we do in comments. The whole, how does protesting this actually make life better yeah. for who you're protesting on behalf of? And look, not only does this tell those minority groups that they are not alone in their anger and frustration, but you often find that the same groups are not able to express themselves in ways that they feel comfortable doing. I mean, if you think about it, how often have you seen something happen abroad mm -hmm. and the global outrage has rectified the issue over the local outrage that took place where it happened? Yeah. We're able to protest in ways they never could. Right. Look, we don't have to look any further than Nelson Mandela and protests that occurred as far as East Berlin. Germany, man. That's wild. And you're absolutely right. Like, we, outside of South Africa, could have protested in ways that they never could. But we don't even have to look further than the previous comment by DJ of, what, people getting t tear gassed on their way to their own execution. Yeah. We don't even, that's not even something that we even have to think about. Next comment. Sir, your editorial today follows a stream of, good on the cops, the protesters deserve all they get comments. Yet you refuse to print articles and letters detailing specific incidents that make protesters feel the police are pawns of an oppressive government. In many marches, I found myself at the forefront of confrontations with authorities or tour supporters. Yet I have never used any form of violence against people or property. But Hamilton hurt police pride. And maddened rugby addicts who want their fix and couldn't care less about apartheid. Since then... I often wear a crash helmet because non-violence is no defense against angry battens or beer bottles. Left to editorials and your decent and effectual protests, the world will not know how many of us really feel about apartheid and our own government. I am proud to be a protester. Yours, ETC. Alan Wilkinson, September 1981. Every single one has started with Sir. Like, they'll go into ridicule what Sir has said, but mm. every single one starts with that respect. In comparison to some of the other comments that we read where people don't oh, even address each just other. just going back and forth. Yeah, like, yeah, looking back at this in the 1980s and be like, Sir, your editorial today is like, wow. 
the respect different. here is unbelievable. It's different. Now, at the very best, Alan would be in their 60s by now. Yeah. Um, perhaps Alan was 21 when he wrote this, or, or maybe 40. We have no clue or inkling of where they've written this from. Yeah. But the imagery of police being pawns of an oppressive government, coupled with the accusation of news withholding letters and articles detailing incidents with the police, just talking about what the media may keep to themselves. Where have we heard that before? Mm. So this letter paints an on-the-street photo of what's actually going out there on the streets, which is exactly what we aim to get from the comments. We want to feel like we're there. How do you feel the shoes you walk in? What is a decent protest when you protest something so indecent? Next comment. Sir, what did Mr Muldoon mean by the parable of the brave Kiwi soldier buried alongside South Africans? This is my interpretation. He would rather see our country beaten up and shot by the rest of the world than show disloyalty to his old buddies in the Springboks. S.J. Hood, undated. This is a harmful statement. Yeah. It was made in 1981 and it's going to be made again in 2022, 2025, 2030 if we're not careful. You know, our children may listen to this episode if they don't end up in the NASCAR for a decade and feel at home when they hear that rhetoric. Prime ministers and leaders using old wars, in this case, the Boer War, to justify keeping friendships and relations high between the countries. SJ puts it so well, because at this point, we were worse than the laughing stock of the world. We were so ignorant in hosting the Springboks that the rest of the world looked at us in disgust. Fucking Floyd is somebody. You have no new messages.